the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Yeah, they were slugging it out last night, weren't they? Good music. Pretty appropriate. Of course, the uh, heavyweight champion was not in the fight. That was one of the problems. I would love to have seen the battle between uh, President Trump and some of those other upstarts who are trying to take his belt from him. Uh, but we did have some battles last night. Nikki Healy and Vivek went at it hard. Chris Christie and Vivek went at it hard. Mike Pence and Vivek, or Mike Pence, excuse me, and Vivek went at it hard. So what does that mean? Uh, it means a whole lot of people know that Vivek Ramaswamy is on the come. He is on the rise, and uh, a lot of people felt like he won that debate. Let's find out what Josh Hammer thinks. Josh Hammer is the senior editor at large uh, at Newsweek and the host of the Josh Hammer Show, syndicated columnist as well. Josh, good to have you. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Bob. Hope you enjoy the debate. Yeah, well, I enjoyed part of the debate. You know, I started my monologue this morning talking about just the formatics. I thought it was horrible that they allowed the crowd to continue to boo and to cheer. They should have made that very clear at the beginning that anybody who makes noise during the debate is going to be gone. We need to hear from the candidates, not from all of you. And then the the debate moderators, Brett Baer and and Martha McCallum, who have done this before, seemed completely incapable of keeping the candidates under control, Uh, making them adhere to the bell, making them uh, not talk over one another. They just had no control of it whatsoever so from from that standpoint it was too chaotic to really appreciate and enjoy yeah i agree with everything you just said um i i i i i've had no reason to dislike brett bayer over the years i think he's quite good actually for the most part of what he does but i last night was definitely not a memorable performance from a moderator's perspective i mean that time that Brett and Martha had to physically turn around and tell the audience like the more you boo the less time we have i mean that's that's just terrible. I mean, I mean that is just kind of a moderator telling a national or international viewing audience that you have lost control of the event that you are trying to moderate. And that's not even saying anything about the uh, about the nature of the questions themselves. I mean, you know, when they started to introduce, it was early on. It was like the second or third question of the debate. They brought in this student who was affiliated with yeah, Young America's Foundation, which is a you know an organization that I that I do some speaking engagements with. You know, kind of a venerable right-of-center conservative organization going back 50, 60, however many years now. And, and the student asked a question about climate change of all topics. This is like, you know, 15, 20 minutes into the debate. And, and yeah. then later on, the question about the UFOs. I mean, are we going to talk about Hunter Biden and, like, Mikola Zolchevsky and Burisma in Ukraine? Are we going to talk about the Black Lives Matter and Tifa riots of 2020? Are we going to talk about how the Democrats want to add Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. as states and pass the Supreme Court? I mean, are we going to get into the issues or what? So it did kind of drain on me a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the like the crowd part, they shouldn't have had to turn around and tell them that. They should have been instructed ahead of time before the cameras came on that this is what is expected of the audience. Uh, and, and so I think that was a fail from the planning standpoint of Fox. And then the moderators, I agree with you on the questions as well. But now let's get into the substance and the candidates. I want to read one of your tweets from last night. Um, 
The boomer cons are hilariously out of touch with the base on Ukraine. DeSantis should be taking a stronger stance. Don't let Vivek, the megalomaniacal con artist, take this issue over. You were very critical as uh, as you live-tweeted. Well, I don't know if you live-tweeted the whole thing, but I read a bunch of your tweets. Uh, very critical of Vivek Ramaswamy, and you're not a fan. Um, many people believe that he won that debate. What do you think? Look, Vivek likes to talk. And he managed to, you know, introduce himself into a lot of different conversations. And he talks very slickly. I mean, he he is obviously someone of a high of a high IQ caliber. Uh, you know, if if Ramaswamy took an IQ test, I'm sure he would perform in like the top one or two percent or something like that. So he's capable of stringing together sentences in, in a very capable fashion. He has clearly had a ton of media training over the past, call it five years or so, since he decided to try to kind of get himself into the limelight. He talks with his hands, all the gesticular motions. I mean, he kind of has it all polished. It seems to me, Bob, honestly, like he has closely studied the rhetoric and the motions of Barack Obama. That's that's really actually what I see. I, I see a lot of kind of the... So you like that Chris Christie line then? Yeah, I thought Chris Christie nailed that. And I'm not a huge fan of Chris Christie, to be honest with you. But I think that I, I, I have said, I have thought for a long time that Vivek has probably closely studied the tapes of Barack Obama, especially his rise from 2004 to 2008, somewhere around then. But as far as what Vivek did on the stage last night, I, I, look, I'm not sure that he did himself a ton of favors. I mean, good for him for, for standing out on the Ukraine issue. You know, DeSantis got there. I, after I tweeted that, DeSantis did have that great line about how he wouldn't send troops to Ukraine, but he would send troops to the southern border. That was great. I mean, I kind of wish that he had just led with that. That That, that is the correct answer, and that's the answer that definitely accords with the general sentiment of, of the Republican base. You know, But, uh, look, I, I, I have no sympathy for Nikki Haley's foreign policy views. I think that she is kind of a throwback to Bush-era neoconservatism. I strongly disagree with her on the Russia-Ukraine stuff, among any number of other issues. But But she is right to an extent, that when it comes to the command... Look, Bob, I'm a constitutional lawyer, okay? That's my background. Article 2 of the Constitution, getting into that, the commander-in-chief prerogative is the unambiguous number one concern of the president of the United States. Like, talking about the military foreign policy, you have to know your stuff on that. I mean, frankly, when it comes to domestic policy, there's only so much you can do, obviously. You have an agenda, you work with Congress, you can do some stuff by administrative fiat, working through the, the bureaucracy, the agencies, all of that is true. But you, you have to know what you're talking about when it comes to the military and the foreign policy. And even though the best instincts on the Ukraine stuff are right, I think that Nikki Haley is also right that he's just a total amateur when it comes to a lot of this and frankly just has no idea what he's talking about other than what I think his computer programmers i like to joke that he's the vex gpt like chat gpt i thought that was another line actually that chris christie or mike pence or yeah, whoever that said was that. Christie, I, that, I think yeah yeah i thought that was totally accurate as well so you know i think the vex programmers got the right message when it comes to ukraine but again he's in, he, he really is in over his heels on a lot of this stuff i think um a lot of people took sledgehammers to him you saw the same thing that I did. Uh, you know the, the the debate strategy that was put forth by by Ron DeSantis's super PAC that was leaked somehow uh, to the media said take a sledgehammer to Ramas, Ramaswamy. DeSantis did not do that, but others did. Like I said, they they came for him. They knew that he was the rising star, and they also knew that he. And in fact, let me rephrase that. I'm going to ask you, Josh. 
I have been making the argument for weeks and weeks now that he and Trump are running together. They're running a they're running a kind of a unified campaign. And as a matter of fact, as evidence of that, I have a headline this morning: uh, Donald Trump praises Vivek Ramaswamy for praising him, uh, calls him the runaway winner because of a thing called truth. Um, I feel as though Donald Trump is using Vivek Ramaswamy to take votes away and support away from Ron DeSantis because they're similar in some of the things that they stand for, particularly the anti-wokeness, and that uh, that is all a part of making sure that uh, Donald Trump has no real challengers, and then Vivek will uh, become his VP or will become somebody in his cabinet and then enjoy the Donald Trump endorsement in 2028. That's what I think is happening here. I saw nothing last night to to change that. Vivek was pro-Trump with every question that was asked, and Donald Trump is very much pro-Vivek. Bob, I've been saying this since March or April. Um, to, to me, this has been obvious for a very long time. I mean, I mean, going back all the way to that that moment when when Trump was arraigned at the federal courthouse in downtown Miami, Florida, where Vivek was there appearing alongside Laura Loomer. I think he was wearing a shirt that just said "Truth" on it, which apparently is a slogan for his campaign, but looked a heck of a lot like an in-kind social media promotion for Trump's Truth Social Network campaign. I mean, every single time he has taken every opportunity to try to do the fullback to Donald Trump's tailback to kind of block, get ahead and and show the path forward. And, you know, there was an article that came out on Monday, I think it was earlier this week. ABC News had this article where there was a leak, someone who was on kind of an intimate inner circle, Vivek Ramaswamy phone call from I guess it was before he launched his presidential campaign, leaked the contents of this phone call and said that on this very kind of close confidant conversation, Vivek said that he was going to get into the race basically to try to take out Ron DeSantis. So uh, the cat is totally out of the bag at this point. And I was personally hoping for Ramaswamy and DeSantis to to kind of get into it a little bit for, for, for multiple reasons. One is that I think that it would have, you know, it seems to me that, that the DeSantis camp chose to take the path of kind of trying to be a little mature and above the fray. I would have preferred that they get into it a little bit more, kind of show a little bit more of kind of that bare-knuckle brawler, street fighter, you know, kind of remind us of that figure who was taking on the media over COVID hysteria and lockdowns in Florida during the height of the pandemic and all that. I would have liked to have seen a little more of that attitude. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I I would have liked to have seen a little more of that in Vivek with it was the natural target for that. I suspect that the leak of the Super PAC's memo where they said, you know, take a sledgehammer to Vivek Ramaswamy, I suspect that the leak of that memo kind of undercut DeSantis' playing card there a little bit, if I had to guess what was going on there. But I, I, to your broader point, I, I emphatically agree with you that Vivek Ramaswamy is not running to be president of the United States. At best, at best, he is running to be Donald Trump's vice president or maybe treasury secretary, Fed chair, something like that. The more cynical answer is that he is legitimately running because, you know, to kind of go back to that tweet of mine that you read earlier, I think that the guy is an actual egomaniac. I think that he is is convinced that he is a larger-than-life exceptional figure. You know, that article that leaked earlier this week by ABC News said that he has talked for a long time about how he desires nothing more than to be famous. The guy's ego is genuinely through the roof, and whether it is to boost book sales, to boost media clicks, get more book revenue for his book sales, whatever his goal is, it all is ultimately about himself and nothing else, I think. 
We're talking to Josh Hammer, senior editor at Newsweek, host of the Josh Hammer Show as well. So, um, how did you know, I agree with you? I wanted to see DeSantis and Vivek, who were the top. They, were, they put them together the way they set the stage up, of course, in the in the center because they're the top two. Uh, people in the polls after Trump. Uh, and of course, Trump was not there. So I, I, I think they expected the two of them to go at it a little bit. But, but, you know, what happened, I think, and I don't know if this is DeSantis's fault or not, that he wanted to, as you say, stay above the fray, look a little more mature, just going to run on my record, going to remind everybody about how great we have done in Florida. I'm not going to get into the, you know, into the mud with these people. Uh, but it, if it was that or if it was just the fact that everybody else kept attacking Vivek. So if all of the time was spent with Vivek, Vivek chirping at Pence and Vivek chirping at and Christie and vice versa and Haley and so forth. And DeSantis almost got kind of left out. I feel like the guy who was number one in the polls, again, of those on stage, should have gotten a lot more opportunities to speak and engage. But the back and forth and, okay, your name was mentioned, so here's 30 seconds for you. Oh, your name was mentioned. It kind of left DeSantis out in the cold. So part of the issue, Bob, I mean, I I was watching – with some friends here in Florida, you know, we're, we're kind of a pro DeSantis crowd. And we, some of us at times are kind of shouting at the TV, shouting for Ron to kind of interject himself into the conversation because there were multiple times where it seems like he could have easily done that. And sometimes he, he got there. So, you know, there was one, there was one moment where there was a conversation about crime and I was like shouting at the TV, like, Ron, like, talk about you removing Soros prosecutors. And then, you know, like uh, two or three minutes later, he, he, he got there. But I, I think a little more, especially given how little control at times the moderators seem to have over the flow of the debate, I would have liked to see the front runner of those on stage, who obviously was Ron DeSantis, I would have liked to have seen him kind of interject himself into the conversation more. I mean, if you have to interrupt someone, that's fine. I mean, do you think that Donald Trump would have had any respect whatsoever for others talking if he were on that debate stage? Obviously not. That's not how 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 alphas, so to speak. That's not how kind of people who are leading in the polls or at least leading in the polls or those on stage. That's, that's just not how they tend to comport themselves. Now, look, I, I don't want to be like too much of a Debbie Downer here. I thought that DeSantis had some very good answers. I thought his answer on, on the border, on the cartels was exceptionally good. His answer on crime and the Soros prosecutors when he got there was very good. His answer on military service was very good. His answers were typically very good, actually. Um, It just wasn't the kind of stuff that would go viral on social media, and it didn't kind of project this kind of dominant posture, especially vis-a-vis these other kind of posers like Vivek Ramaswamy that I think some of us are hoping for. Let me ask you another question about President Trump since, um, you know, it's funny, uh, according to the talk time or the topic, I should say, time that was spent, he was second or the the Trump issue was second. But but I only heard one actual question from the moderators about him, if I'm not mistaken, which was about whether or not you would support him if he is convicted in a court of law of a felony. And um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that, that they talked about him so much, but without actual questions being asked of them. And then secondly, Ron DeSantis uh, looked very, very unsure of himself. You saw him look left, you saw him look right, and he saw how many people were raising their hands, and then he went ahead and half-heartedly raised his hand to the question of whether or not you will support Trump as your vow says you must, you know, since you had to take the pledge uh, to support the eventual nominee uh, if he is convicted of a crime. He did not want to put his hand up, but he felt like he was compelled to by the others. How do you read that? Yeah, it wasn't a great moment. Uh, there's no way to there's no way to really spin that. Um, there, there was another moment as well towards the second half of the debate. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember what the exact question was, where 
DeSantis was talking, and then he kind of physically looked left to the vex to you know make sure that he wasn't cutting off his opponents. I, I, again, you know, this is kind of the these are kind of the optics of, of deference to your peers that I think just doesn't play particularly well in kind of a cutthroat knife fight setting like a debate stage like that. But look, I mean, a, a debate like this, just frankly, you know, Ron DeSantis, in, in my view, is is by by words of magnitude, the most prolific conservative elected official currently in the United States. I, I live in Florida. His track record here is is absolutely sensational. I mean, what he has done to the state, Bob, is just it's just an incredible story. I mean, this is the state, obviously, that decided the 2000 presidential election with the hanging chads, 538 votes or whatever it was. And now it's kind of a bright red bastion of, of concern. It's just a remarkable transformation. But the debate setting is just not his his strength. I mean, I, you know, I, I was there actually last October in person. I was sitting in the audience in his one gubernatorial debate versus Charlie Crist, and it, it was fine. It was a fine performance against a terrible candidate in Charlie Crist. I wouldn't say it was a you know first round Mike Tyson knockout blow or anything like that. So this this sort of thing just 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 frankly isn't his his natural setting. On, 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 you know, unfortunately, again, I think the expectations last night were such that many of us were were hoping and in some ways expecting. For kind of some knockout blows and viral moments, but it, it's it's just not his strength, unfortunately, a setting like that. Yeah, and and I think that's very very clear. But getting back to the question of whether or not he or any of them should have raised their hand when they said yes, we will still support the nominee, even if the nominee has been convicted of a felony, I can understand the hesitation because the one thing that we all agree on is that Donald Trump is being railroaded. They are filing in, uh, charges against him and have indicted him on things that no Democrat or really no other politician, particularly leading into an election, would ever be indicted on. They would settle these things out of a courtroom. Whatever it is they had to do, there would be a slap on the wrist like Hillary Clinton got. Um, so Donald Trump is being railroaded. Now, that's based on what we know of the indictments. What we don't know is what's going to come out of the trials. We don't know what evidence is going to be presented. There might be things that make us jaws drop to our chest and say, oh, my God, that happened? Oh, my God, that part happened? So I, I kind of feel like the you know, hand in the sky that Vivek threw as high as he could put, I, I will still support him and I will pardon him without knowing what he's getting into and what he's committing to. I don't know that that's if that's a sound thing to do for any of these candidates. Yeah, it's a it's a reasonable point, right? I mean, look, there's there are going to be trials here unless there are plea deals reached in in all four cases. I mean, there's going to be some trials. You're going to have you know evidence that comes to the fore. In the case of the of the Fulton County, Georgia indictment, where there are cameras in the courtrooms, you know, there will, there will be kind of mass court tv style viewing i mean we don't really know exactly what's going to come up there so i i i understand that hesitation for sure um the vivac shooting his hand in the air thing again makes sense when you understand not you bob but like you kind of the proverbial you it, that makes sense when you understand that vivac again is not saying or doing anything because he actually believes it he, he is saying and doing everything he says and does because of ulterior reasons that ultimately redound to the cynical self-interest of Vivek Ramaswamy's personal promotions and the you know expansion of his already oversized ego. So that really is how I interpret essentially every single action that Vivek Ramaswamy does on that stage. But my own kind of personal thoughts on the, the Trump conviction stuff, I mean, yeah, it's hard to say to one extent. On, on, on the other hand, 
I, I, I'm sympathetic to the idea that I basically would vote for essentially anything other than than Joe Biden. I mean, I, I mean, given given the stakes. But look, I mean, we can't discount the possibility that Donald Trump like actually might be in handcuffs or be in a prison cell next year. I and mean, this is kind of the column that I wrote last week, frankly. I think a lot of people out there, because they look at the the BS political persecution nature of these indictments, which I strongly agree they are exactly that. But I think a lot of people look at that. And then they just conclude that because, that because these are so politicized, this is such an affront to the rule of law, all of that, that he's just going to get off scot-free. He'll be back in Mar-a-Lago, back in Bedminster, New Jersey. And, and that's not how it works. That's just not how criminal prosecution works. These are four separate trials with different prosecutors in different courtrooms, with different juries, different rules of criminal procedure, blah, 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 blah. And each trial is going to ultimately end in guilt, acquittal, or some, some sort of plea deal. And uh, unfortunately, it's a kind of a tragic reality that, that there is a non-zero chance that this actually does end with the former president in a prison cell. And, you know, that, that's a very kind of dystopian, harrowing reality. And it's, it's a weird thing. It's a terrible thing to, to think about here. But if nothing else, that's why it's important that these other candidates remain in the race, because the, the front runner actually might be in handcuffs sometime next year. It's possible. I would say it's not yeah. likely, but it's possible. It would be devastating for this republic if that happens. Absolutely devastating. And I don't care how anybody feels about Donald Trump. What is being done to him is absolutely criminal, and it is absolutely election interference. It is absolutely an attempt to stop him, uh, the leader of the opposition party. Jailing the leader who is trying to unseat the incumbent is simply in, it, it's impossible to think about, but it is, it is indeed truly possible that they'll do it. And if they will, what is plan B for us? I have said this very clearly uh, many, many times. Some people don't believe me when I say, I will support the Republican nominee. I don't care if it's Chris Christie. I don't care if it's Doug Burgum. Even if they're awful, I don't care. Well, not that I would call Burgum awful. He's just kind of nondescript. But Chris Christie, I think, is an awful choice. But he's still going to be legions better than President Kamala, which is what I think we would get if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris stay on that ticket, because I don't think his body will allow him to continue past another year. I think President Kamala would be literally who we are led by, and uh, and, and I would absolutely take Chris Christie over over uh, over Kamala Harris. I would take anybody with an R after the name, even if they are the worst of rhinos, they still can't be as bad as Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. I, I agree with that, too. And, I, 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 yeah, one thing I would say, you know, I, I hit on Vivek a lot for reasons that, I, you know, I feel very strongly about this. I, I'm, I, I feel strongly that I'm correct in my assessment of, of his character and all that. But I, I would I would vote for Vivek Ramaswamy over Joe Biden. I, I, and I wouldn't even... I, I wouldn't even hesitate to do so. Actually, I, I mean, I would pull the I would pull the, the lever very quickly, despite my massive, massive concerns about the fraudulent nature of this and that. Because we we, we just don't have time to kind of second guess these sort of things. I mean, I go back to Michael Anton's famous White '93 election essay in the Claremont Review of Books in 2016. Do you take that analogy seriously? If you think that we're you know increasingly one, two, three, however many elections closer to the brink of something really bad. Sometimes you've got to just roll the dice. And, you know, when it comes to President Trump being possibly convicted, I think it applies there as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Josh Hammer breaking it down, giving us great in-depth analysis of the debate last night. Absent President Trump, I wish he would have been there. I know you do, too. I would love to have seen his answer to some of those questions, too. But uh, in due time, I hope. Josh, thanks so much. Keep up the great work in Newsweek. You too, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's Josh Hammer. And, again, he is... Uh, 
He is a senior editor at Newsweek. Highly recommend following him at Josh underscore Hammer. At Josh underscore Hammer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.